0: Well, hello again, everybody. This is uh, Christian Massar with another episode of the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast. Um, So, actually, before I get started, I actually wanted to tell you uh, I started a SoundCloud account for this as well. So, if you prefer the SoundCloud or SoundCloud uh, uh, platform rather than uh, Podbean or podcast, you can go there on SoundCloud as well. Just look up Historical Thoughts and Interpretations. You should see it there. I haven't upgraded to a pro yet. So, so far I have, it was 180 minutes in total that I could do without a pro account. And I forget exactly what I'm at now. Probably... I think less than 90 minutes, so so I can still put a few more podcast episodes up there anyway. But anyway, so you can just go to SoundCloud, look up Historical Thoughts and Interpretations there, or um, you could do both uh, here, or uh, both at pod, both podcast format and SoundCloud format, whatever, but uh, either way, the option's there. So, uh, so let's get right into this. Uh, so what I'm talking about today is actually uh, last time we talked about Um, World War II in the Pacific Theater and kind of the military um, the faulty military thinking that the Japanese had uh, in trying to take the Aleutian Islands um, in addition to running the Midway campaign as well. Uh, but uh, this time I'm going to be talking about something completely different. Nothing military or anything like that. This is more going into ideology. And instead of the Pacific Theater, we're going back to uh, Nazi Germany. And a lot of this focuses on the pre-war period. Um, but in any case, so what the this podcast is called, it's a bit of a long title. Rewriting the Scriptures... Religious Justification for Nazi Antisemitism Within Radical German-Protestant Christianity. So, during their rule in, Nazi, in Germany, the Nazis tried to provide religious justification for their anti-Semitic anti- ideology. A large Christian population and tenets such as neighborly love presented the Nazis with a, with a potentially large hurdle. But due to the defeat in World, due to Germany's defeat in World War I and fears of social corruption, quote unquote, the Nazis, Nazism, had some Christian support. Some scholars even modified the scriptures to suit Adolf Hitler's agenda, creating a new quote Nazi Christianity. So that's what we'll be talking about. Um, we'll be talking about today. So during World War II, the Holocaust behaved or heaved a monstrous amount of death and suffering suffering upon Europe's Jewish population. Einsatzgruppen, or so-called task groups, concentration camps, and labor camps were all part of the Nazis' final solution, meant to systematically murder millions of people. The Holocaust killed over 6 million Jews, which was about 40% of the total Jewish population. And actually, just the other day, January 27th, was the Holocaust Memorial Day, um, in remembrance of these six million Jews that were killed by the Nazi um, the Nazi state um, certainly, there, certainly, the Holocaust is something that was a terrible blight on human history as as we all know and uh, It's important that we do do remember um, Do remember the victims in that and also make sure that that never happens again But what allowed this such an organized mass murder to happen um, in nazi germany Uh, this question is especially pertinent when we consider that in nazi germany quote according to robert p erickson in his book complicity in the holocaust erickson wrote 97 percent of the population considered itself christian so somehow the nazis needed to justify their planned final solution in the eyes of their citizens One way they did this was by creating a Nazified Christianity in which the mistreatment and murder of Jews was palatable. This new religious culture came to being through the rewriting of Christian scriptures, which will be the focus of this study. Um, It must be noted that although the Catholic Church was certainly present in Nazi Germany during the the pre-war and World War II years, um, this podcast will focus on the actions and thoughts of Nazi-sympathizing uh, Nazi Protestant leaders. Before we analyze Nazi Christianity, we must first look at how Nazi antisemitism started. This dark blot in history goes back to the end of World War I. This was a war in which many Germans believed they could hold out against Allied pressure, but their country surrendered. Instead of facing heroic defeat on the battlefield, Germany's forces had to stand down, suffering a humiliating and uh, and what was seen as a cowardly surrender. The idea of a ceasefire in 1918 came as a devastating emotional blow, especially because the German Empire was relatively young, not yet having having had centuries of tradition to build a national pride and identity like those of the British and the French empires. The emotional backlash from this so-called needless surrender led to the infamous theory that Germany's military was, quote, stabbed in the back. Fears of this treachery were common in Germany during the war, and even back in the a- days of Otto von Bismarck, before the World War I. In this tense environment, pacifists were seen as dangerous. Uh, the post-war years were confusing for many Germans, and for even if the war's physical scars were gone, the wounds in German, G- German society were festering. and This allowed a construction of foreign cultural enemies, uh, which were said to threaten Germany's very soul. Uh, such threats were thought to lead to materialism, frivolity, worldliness, and other quote non-German things. The armistice which ended World War I And the November 1923 hyperinflation of the German currency were said to have swindled Germany into its post-war economic troubles. Elias Canetti says that the Nazis would come to blame the Jews for these problems. Hard times after World War I had led to the creation of a new social memory in which the German people had been robbed of victory. And the Jews in this narrative subjected the German people to humiliation and financial hardship. The Jews became a scapegoat for their for the Germans' problems. Having their right and the Jews were eventually had their rights stripped away and eventually suffered through the Holocaust, which we mentioned before. But other enemies were also blamed. Quote unquote Russian Avengers, for example, had allegedly murdify, murdered the crucified Christ of Germany. You can see this in Susanna Henschel, Susanna Heschel's book uh, The Aryan Jesus. But this attitude towards the Jews provided the backbone of Nazi antisemitism, which was very clear from the beginning of the Nazi movement. Robert Erickson notes that this rhetoric would be well known by 1933, when Adolf Hitler became the German Chancellor. What were Protestant Christian reactions to this watershed moment? Judging by evangelical editorials published at the time, many Protestant Christians were actually overjoyed. The new Nazi state was seen as a moral bulwark against the cultural enemies mentioned previously. Before Hitler's rise to power, these words were found in the January 6, 1933 issue of the Allgemeine Evangelische Lutherische Luther- uh, Kirchenzeitung, or the AELKZ, and this was a Lutheran newspaper. And I don't speak German, but what I have, um, what I've, what I've gathered from this. Uh, This translation, it means General uh, Lutheran Evangelical Church Times. So this is a quote from the January 6th, 1933 issue. Quote, where God is not in the house, one builds on sand, creates not a house, but a collapsing ruin. Yes, ruination has come to the earlier Proud Reich. There remains no strength, except the strength to scold, to quarrel, to hate, to rage against one's Volk, or people, Comrades, Volk Comrades, with robbery and murder, with character assassination and embitterment. So this auditorial was saying that because the post-war German Weimar Republic had accepted foreign ways, it was doomed to fall like the like the house of the biblical foolish man, as told by Jesus' parable in Matthew 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Similar words were found elsewhere in the same issue of the AES of the A-E-K-L-Z, which, and and they sound like a prophet's call to repentance, actually, so I'll give another quote here. The folk was never in such a dark night as today. When the world war ended, one, this is World War One. when the world war ended, one believed that the worst was past. One yearned only for peace, cried for peace, peace at any price, and signed the Versailles Treaty. But that signature was not for peace, but for war, not a blessing, but a curse. The war, despite its losses and privation, was a golden time compared to the iron time of peace, which rolled over the folk like an iron threshing machine, life-crushing, prosperity-destroying, strength-breaking. It was God's threshing machine. God called to repentance and no one would come. With every year, it sank deeper, the situation grew more hopeless, more at a loss, more confused. Protestant Nazi supporters considered democracy to be quote, one of the foreign corrupting influences that endangered the German soul. In a democracy, Jews, socialists, and Catholics could get control, so dictatorial rule was seen by these supporters as the best way to protect the German folk's language and culture. Communism was another threat because it was spreading atheistic philosophy. The January 6th AELKZ article Issue just cited uh, called it called communism a plague that would destroy any country because of its hostility towards faith. And, of course, at this time, um, in 1933, this is when the communist state was in, um, in the former Russian Empire. It was in with, within the Soviet Union. And there was, indeed, a lot of persecution against uh, religious people, not just Russian Orthodox Christians, but also against uh, Muslims as well. So um, one could certainly see that atheistic communism was certainly a, a threat to religious life. And the Nazi state was actually seen at this time as a protector of religion. An April issue of the same um, newspaper mentioned before uh, said that the Nazis encouraged the spiritual education of children, respected marriage, honored fathers, and encouraged folk patriotism. The Nazi party program, in its article number 24, said that, quote, positive Christianity, unquote, was Germany's very foundation. It must be noted that this so-called positive Christianity was defined as aspects of the religion that did not attack the Nazi ethic. Negative Christianity, on the other hand, included such doctrine as love your neighbor, turn the other cheek, and these were seen as antithetical to Nazism. Hitler supported traditional Christian values, supposedly speaking against pornography and prostitution, for example. And, of course, true to Nazi fashion, Hitler blamed the Jews for modern perversion. he he was also believed to be a devout man who daily read the New Testament and a Protestant devotional pamphlet. The sympathy of some Christians towards Nazism is obvious from these editorials and attitudes, but what about Germany's theologians? The country that had produced Martin Luther and Protestantism certainly had no lack of theologians. During the Hitler era, Nazi anti-Semitism infiltrated, infiltrated the ranks of contemporary theologians, leading to the religious justification that the Nazi state needed. One such theologian was a man named Paul Althaus, Althaus a professor of theology at the University of Erlangen. He described Hitler's rise to power as a, quote, gift and miracle of God. Gerhard Kittel and Otto Debelius were two other pro-Nazi theologians who justified the mistreatment of Jews. Debelius was anxious about the supposed increase in the number of Jewish politicians, judges, and civil servants. He advocated, quote, restraint during the anti-Jewish boycott of April 1st, 1933, but he said that this boycott was simply in reaction to angry Jewish voices from outside of Germany. Gerhard Kittel went further, suggesting in a June 1933 lecture that the Jews should be banned from public life and forbidden from marrying non-Jews. Two years later, the Nazis passed the Nuremberg Racial Laws which banned Jewish citizenship. Jews were not neighbors, according to the likes of Kittel. They were perceived as problems that caused moral decay. Kittel wanted tough action to be done against them. And he said that such things could and should be done in good conscience, quote, without sentimental softening. Antisemitism within the Protestant churches reached its apex in the so-called Deutsche Christen, or we'll just call it the DC. The DC, and the Deutsche Christen basically means German Christian or German Christians. Uh, The DC was an organization which included Nazi pastors. On September 5th, 1933, the D.C. formed a synodical meeting, which became known as the Brown Synod because many pastors wore Nazi party uniforms. You know, the idea of a brown shirt. At this synod, the D.C. voted to internalize restrictions embodied in the Aryan paragraph. And so within, this, within the church, this document, the Aryan paragraph, stipulated that pastors and their wives were to have no Jewish ancestry. Another document, the Götzberg Declaration, said that Judaism and Christianity were incompatible. This declaration would make sense to many in Nazi Germany, where, again, the national narrative was saying that the Jews had caused countless problems for Christian Germany. The Aryan paragraph outraged many preachers who felt it was a sign of the state interfering with internal church affairs. They had good reason to feel this way, as such a precedent had already been set. Earlier, Hitler had wanted to form a Nazi-controlled Reichskirche, and the Prussian church was placed under police control under, after Ludwig Müller, the DC's candidate for the local bishop seat, was defeated in May 1933 church elections. Eventually, Müller became Reich, Reichbishop when the Aryan paragraph was passed that, that September. And even though the Aryan paragraph was passed without government pressure, it brought the D.C.'s brand of Christianity closer to Nazi ideology. Fearing the state's control of the church and protesting the exclusion of Jewish Christians from the clergy, a Berlin-based pastor named Martin Niemöller created the Pastors' Emergency League, or the P.E.L., PEL members, which numbered over 6,000 by the end of 1933, pledged to resist the Aryan paragraph and other DC stipulations. The PEL thus became a lifeline for persecuted preachers, even though at the time there were only 63 non Aryan pastors. Victoria Barnett notes that the PEL was the, quote, precursor to the Confessing Church, which was an organization, evangelical organization created on May 29, 1934. On this day, evangelical leaders held the first confessing synod of the Evangelical Church of the Old Prussian Union at Barmen. Here, the confessing, first confessing synod discussed the creation of the confessing church, which would, quote, reject the false doctrine that the church should be an organ of the state. These words were included in the so called Barman Confession, in which the organization officially rejected the, both the Deutsche Christian and the ch- state's attempted control over doctrine. The Confessing Church claimed that it, and not the government's so-called Reichskirche, was the true German evangelical church. The Confessing Church's claim to legitimacy lay not necessarily in an effort to stand up for persecuted Jews. It wanted to resist the DC's move towards Nazism. It also sought to preserve scripture, which the Nazi state was attempting to change. The Nazis tried to change scripture in order to construct their own Christianity, for the original faith posed problems for their racist ideology. Christianity was full of teachings that the Nazis would not be able to evade. First, there was the problem of Christianity's clear Jewish roots. Jesus, for example, the Son of God, the the center of the Christian faith, was Jewish, as were his disciples and the Apostle Paul. Matthew one, Matthew chapter one discri- provides an extensive genealogy that is of Jesus, that is full of Jewish figures, full of Jewish religious figures like Abraham, David, and Solomon. Christ's death on the cross was also believed to have pl- replaced the earlier practices of Jewish temple worship, religious law, and sacrifice with the Christian law of grace. You can see this in Hebrews uh, chapters eight through ten. Finally, there was a passage in Galatians, Galatians three twenty eight and twenty nine that said, "There is no longer Jew or Greek; there is no longer slave or free. there is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise of God. What this passage said was that all Christians were equal in God's eyes, no matter their ethnicity, gender or status. Then the passage went on to say that all Christians were that all Christians were children of Abraham, the great Jewish patriarch. So, what were the Nazis' quote-unquote solutions to these theological roadblocks? The first was to make Jesus an Aryan. This was done through the Deutsche Christen's creation in 19, May 1939, just before, a few months before the World War II started. And the institute the DC created was and here's another long title. Institute for the Study and Eradication of Jewish Influence on German Christian or German Church Life This organization was headed by Professor Walter Grundemann Grundemann said that non-Jews gentiles had lived in Galilee before Jesus birth after all the Greeks and Romans had occupied that area for centuries The Institute also said, however, that Jesus' teachings were not based on Jewish thought, but rather Buddhist, Iranian, or Persian, and Hellenic thought, Greek thought. Finally, the Gospels were full of stories in which Jesus vehemently opposed the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders. You can go to original um, biblical documents for this. But the Institute used this to turn the Christian Savior into an anti-Jewish figure. It is worth noting, as well, that the New Testament suggested the superiority of Christ's grace, as opposed to the strict legalism of the Old Testament Judaism. The books of Romans and Hebrews were full of these ideas. In the end, the D- Deutsche Christian was changing Jesus into an archetype for the Nazis, taking the perverting the doctrines of grace uh, versus law, uh, taking that and taking Jesus' uh, opposition to the Jewish Pharisees and twisting that to make Jesus, making Jesus and Christianity kind of an anti-Semitic um, religion. And so this new version of Jesus, if you may put it that way, was a, G, was a Christ with whom a quote, good Nazi, quote unquote, could identify with. But Jesus was not the only biblical character to be molded into a Nazi framework. Cain, the first murderer, was depicted as a, quote, wandering Jew, intent on spreading harm and destruction. The golden calf of Exodus, the, you know, this is the, the calf that Aaron, Moses' brother, um, under some pressure from the people, turned into an idol. And so they formed a, a bunch of gold into a, uh, the shape of a golden calf, and they worshipped it. Um, so the golden calf of Exodus, according to Deutsche, the, the Nazi-friendly Christianity's uh, view, Uh, This golden calf was turned into a metaphor for, quote, Jewish materialism. And the ultimate goal of these changes was to transform the Bible into an anti Jewish scripture. Soon enough, the Institute for the Study and Eradication of Jewish Influence on German Church Life, from now on, I think I'll say just the Institute, (laughs) because that's a mouthful, Um, soon enough, the Institute removed the Old Testament from the Bible completely. This was an easy fix supposedly, uh, because the Old Testament had put Jews in a positive light. So it was incompatible, incompatible with Nazi attempts to edit Christianity. But the New Testament would be a more difficult thing to remove. For while it did lay down Christianity in Judaism's place, it made many positive references to Jewish practices and people. For example, in Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul identifies himself as Jewish, and he says that all Jews someday will be saved. And connected with that, it is interesting that the Deutsche Christen actually attacked the great missionary, Apostle Paul, for being Jewish. Yet Paul had written the Book of Romans, in which he preached salvation through faith alone, which was a cornerstone of Martin Luther's Protestant theology. And of course, some will argue that it's, uh, it's not just faith alone, maybe only by faith, but not faith alone. So that's a, a different uh, idea, but Um, that's a different debate that we don't need to discuss now, but Martin Luther back in the 16th century, supposedly he looked at the book of Romans and that's where this idea of salvation through faith alone came from, right? And so this was a cornerstone of Martin Luther's Protestant theology. So it can be easily seen how the new Testament posed quite a problem for the Institute Grundmann decided that the New Testament had to be brushed over with a fine-tooth comb. Any passages that were positive towards the Jews would be removed. Verses that verses that criticized Jews um, or the Pharisees, for example, the Jewish religious leadership, they would be these verses would be remain in this new version of Nazi scripture. As for the Apostle Paul, the institute rearranged his words and removed all references to his Jewish background. This happened eventually. So just like how Jesus and other characters were put into a Nazi-friendly context, the same were done to the script. The same was done to the scriptures. Jesus' time in Jerusalem, for example, was described as a Kampf or a struggle. Jesus' teachings about murder in the heart from Matthew chapter five were changed to make destroying the quote national fellowship equivalent to the sin of affronting one's neighbor. And and so what I mean by murder in the heart, this is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is talking at the Sermon on the Mount and saying that you don't necessarily have to act out to to cause to to sin. Uh, for example, if uh, Jesus redefines adultery as in it's not just the physical act of having sex with somebody outside of marriage, but it's actually. Um, you, if one looks at a woman lustfully, that's the same the the same gravity of sin. That's still a sin. Um, the idea of murder in the heart of like hating one's neighbor or desiring to kill someone, perhaps, or even just being angrily unjustly. Um, those ideas are connected to almost committing murder inside the heart, right? And so, what the Nazis did, they took this. I, this, they took this doctrine of murder in the heart and changed it into, if you're causing a problem to the national spirit, so to speak, this is just as bad as affronting one's neighbor, as Jesus would say, right? So Jesus' words were being adapted to the current nationalistic political climate. And, and the Institute published its first New Testament in 1940. And this New Testament was called the uh, Die Botschaft Gottes. Um, so I apologize. I, I, I (laughs) I don't know German and actually I should look up the translation for this. Um, but, um, I'm assuming it probably means like the, the Testament of God or God's Testament or something. But, um, if someone can please correct me, if, if you want to correct me, feel free to, uh, uh, to send me a message or make a comment or whatever. Um, if you understand German, you can give the proper translation of that. Um, so this, uh, uh, Die Botschaft Gottes uh, focused on narrating Jesus' so-called Kampf, an eventual victory. Uh, interestingly, this Bible version was produced in the first full year of the Second World War. And, and this was when the Nazi government was greatly restricting and rationing paper in order to save it for wartime propaganda. But the Institute did not have a problem with paper availability. And by the end of 1941, it was able to sell or distribute 200,000 copies by the end of 1941. So it was, it was pretty important. Almost a quarter of a million copies um, they were able to send out, uh, able to produce. And this was when the, the war effort required them to ration paper. And so the new scriptures were also heavily subsidized. So this was a clear example of the the state getting involved with church affairs and actually using the church as a production or for producing wartime propaganda, um, and actually, I w- I want to do a podcast on this eventually because I've done uh, quite a bit of work on the opposite side, right? Because we have uh, we're talking here about a German. Um, German affairs during World War Two, or just leading up to it and how the German, the Nazi state influenced um, the, the Protestant church bodies, some of them, of course, not all of them because as we know, the, as we said, the confessing church uh, did not agree with these ideologies that were coming out and uh, protested against it. Not all Christians, of course, went along with this, um, these changes to make Christianity Nazi-friendly. But in any case, so, but I've done quite a bit of work on the opposite side, Um, because from 1941 to 1945, the Nazis were also fighting the Soviets and the Soviet Union. And so the Soviet Union, it's a very interesting case there, too, um, where... From everything I've seen, they, they didn't, the Soviets never tried to change scripture, but the the communist Soviet Union was very oppressive against um, against religious people before the war. But almost as soon as the war starts, when when Nazi Germany invades the Soviet Union on um, June 22nd, 1941, the church takes a role as being almost a, a prop... Uh, mm, should I say a propaganda machine for the Soviet state? But eventually, the, the Stalin is uh, is um, um, releasing, uh, like kind of relaxing some of the restrictions against the church. They're able to collect money again. They're create the church is allowed to have its own bank accounts, and the church is donating money to the war effort. So there's there's that side too. And the um, and the Russian church actually produced a book called "The Truth About Religion in Russia," and what this book actually did. Um, I have a copy of it, actually. It's, uh, it's an English uh, English version of it, and what this book actually does, it actually is talking about how in 1942, Russian Orthodox Christians, they're celebrating Easter uh, regardless of any risk from German Nazi attack or airstrikes or bombing raids against Moscow, um, so it's a very interesting uh, thing, and I would like, I've done a lot of work on this in the past, so I'd, I'd like to do a, a podcast on this in the future. And, um, talk a little bit about how the, the the Soviet state was able to use local Russian Orthodox Church to kind of um, bolster the Soviet people for the war effort because Russian people have been uh, Orthodox since well by that time they had been Orthodox Christian largely for almost a thousand years um, so the Soviet state needed that support to. Um, uh, to make it work. For example, when they're going back to um, when they're reclaiming lost territory in, in um, what is now modern Ukraine, for example, they are, they're taking churches back and, re- and incorporating it into the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, so, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of fascinating stuff there. So, um, so we've talked about the Nazi uh, religious uh, stuff today. Um, but I'll, I would like to talk about some of the Soviet uh, stuff that went on as well. Um, but anyway, uh, just to uh, conclude, um, what we're talking about here with the Nazi effort to change Christianity. Um, so the Confessing Church was mostly against the new version of the Bible, um, as like we saw earlier. The Confessing Church's members were very concerned about maintaining the integrity of Scripture, even it even if it preached against some of their own anti-Semitic views. So as we said before, so some. Um, you know, some may have been anti-Semitic, but they were interested in still keeping scripture as it should be. Um, they were not willing to add or um, or remove from the Bible like the Deutsche Christen was, which changed very, Christ's very nature to make it fit the prevalent social and political narrative. Interpretations of religious texts always change according to the context in which people are currently living. And Nazi Germany and the Institute proved this point. In making Jesus a proto-Nazi, the Deutsche Christen's new scriptures supported the German story that the Jews were to blame for all moral decay in their country. It tried to assuage any doubts about the morality of Nazism by saying to the German people something like this, even Jesus fought the Jews. As part of the German folk, you should feel no shame in doing so yourself. So we certainly uh, discussed kind of a dark topic uh, for sure um, showing how um, relig- a religious organization could be used to uh, to allow the Holocaust and provide religious justification for it. And, you know, I certainly don't want to get preachy here, but, but certainly that is something we all need to be aware of um, nowadays. You know, I know a lot of people will look at something like this and... Say, you know, use religion, uh, say that religion has been responsible for all kinds of evil and everything like that. I'm not going to say that religion is necessarily a bad thing in itself. But, uh, and certainly, whether somebody is religious or not, um, we all definitely need to have clear minds, have clear heads, and be guided by right action right um and, and and certainly you know a lot of religious people uh, have been um using their scriptures or their beliefs to in impose it on others in a way that causes a lot of great evil you know i talked about today about how the deutsche christen used a scripture changed it s- twisted it around to make it friendly for adolf hitler and his nazi party right and so um you know this certainly this is not the only time that has happened. Uh, there's been lots of times where um, religious organiza- religious organizations or religious texts or whatever have been used to justify things like such as the Crusades, but also on the we we also have other modern uh, so-called Christian examples such as the um, I believe it's called the Christian Identity movement, um, which has taken some of these um, pro-Nazi ideas. And applied them um, to Scripture as well, right? And also um, we have the LRA, which um, a few years ago it generated a lot of um, attention with uh, Joseph Kony's, this is Joseph Kony's movement in Uganda, and I must confess that I haven't really kept up with with the uh, movements of the LRA lately, but they were going around uh, stealing children and everything like that, and so they were trying to create, um, as I understand it, they were trying to create this organization, built a uh, little country of their own based on the Ten Commandments found in the Bible, but they were doing these terrible things, uh, fighting essentially a civil war in northern Uganda. Um, and so this, that was when the Stop Kony, um, movement was was around back it was around 2012 um so uh, as far as uh, the recent updates with the lra i'm not sure joseph coney i've haven't really been following that in the news lately um but certainly that has been you know the a religious text has been used to justify that organization's existence and activities and you know certainly um we have the prevalence of islamic terrorism Nowadays too, right? Where people are using the Islamic faith to um, push their own idea of Islam. And um, people are joining ISIS or groups like organizations like ISIS. Thankfully, ISIS is losing a lot of ground in the Middle East, but it still exists. And of course, there are other uh, Islamic terror groups as well. Right? Al-Qaeda has been around for a very long time. Uh, even since the death of Osama bin Laden in 2011, it's still been around. Um, so you know, anybody can take some kind of an ideology and twist it to make it for great evil. And certainly, this is not a criticism of of somebody being religious or non-religious, whatever. But in any case, um, sort of repeating myself here, but we should all have a clear head, and this is, um, and we should all do what is right. Um, and this is certainly not. Um, just against religion, but you know, governments can do the same thing too. Governments have certain uh, agendas that they want to 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 say, and they'll use fancy words. And um, fancy words make something sound good, but it ends up being a, either a bad policy or a immoral one. Um, and I certainly don't want to mention names here. I'm not because this all sides of all spectrums are guilty of something like this. So, and uh, also not just governments, but also media. Media can also say, um, purport either fake news or be guilty of something, saying something wrong, um, and those kinds of things. So again, I'm not gonna mention any names, but I think that as we look at the world today, and certainly this is not anything unique to our, just our time, um, it may just seem more dangerous now because we're living in it, and also we live in this um, this age where something happens or something is said, and uh, like ninety seconds later or less, we know about it right on the other side of the world so um so with this, since this uh podcast has been about propaganda and about how lies can be said you know fairly easily, um we just need to make sure that we we keep our um we keep our heads straight and um we do what is right for each other, and we do um yeah we do what is good <laughs> that's and again i know that sounded really preachy there but um you know there are a lot of evil evil ideas out there um and um from people of various backgrounds various um uh political systems various political beliefs whatever right so um just be good to each other um regardless of 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 race and everything like that. So I guess this ended up being a call for uh call for goodness, I suppose. <laughs> so if that's preachy, well I apologize, but you know what? I think it's uh it's a good message that um people from all um, um people from all kinds of various backgrounds can get behind. So Uh, But anyway, in any case, I hope you enjoyed this podcast for sure. Um, And as I said, I guess I kind of teased as a future podcast, uh, in fact, what I was talking about how the Soviet, uh, from the opposite side, again, today we talked about the Germans using uh, religion to justify um, their existence and their activities, Um, but I seriously do want to talk about the topic that I looked at where of the Soviet situation around the same time. So, um, so I think it'll be, I think it'll be fun to do that. And of course I have other podcasts I want to do and, uh, be sure to check out the SoundCloud, uh, channel of this. Um, if you want to go there, it's, I will just be uploading the same podcasts there. So maybe it's an app you prefer. I don't know. Uh, but either way, you can certainly check out SoundCloud, uh, again, historical thoughts and interpretations. The name hasn't changed. And, uh, so there you go. So I hope you enjoyed this and we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one.